Knight Rider won't be seen tonight, so we can bring you a very special episode of The Gen X Files. Welcome to The Gen X Files! I'm Jim. I'm Adam. And today's show is all about... 48, 48 hours. hours. That's two days. Yeah, it is, Adam. That's really uh, good for you. Adam, you've always been really good at uh, time. Time. Yeah, mm-hmm. time is a thing with me. That's your hobby. You're a time guy. <laughs> I'm a timist. Time nerd. Yeah. Time nerd. That's true, actually. I love time travel. Ooh, 48 uh, hours, man. No time travel in 48 hours, unfortunately. Roxanne! <laughs> Take yourself back to 1982. Ooh. April 1st, the 1982 invasion of the Falkland Islands begins when Argentine forces land near Stanley, beginning the Falklands War. You know what's crazy about that? Because they invaded, they landed on the first. Yeah. Everybody was like, this has got to be an April Fool's joke. And so they did. They, they were just laughing and laughing. And that's how they, they won so quickly is because they weren't prepared. Wow. They just were like, April I Fool's. I mean, qu- quickly being it lasted 74 days. Pretty quick. Pretty <laughs> 907 quick. casualties. It was the talk of 1982. Like, oh, yeah. it just went on forever. Yeah, and it uh, was everybody... Island. You know, there's that whole joke about, you know, yeah, yeah. everybody did the, the Scottish thing. The Falkland Islands. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, the it's funny thing. In British, like, I watch British shows a lot. Yeah, the BBC. Yeah. I'm very cultured, Adam. Oh, are you? Um, you know, the the British, one thing you are? Yes, it, it stands for the British Broadcasting. Um, oh, the British Broadcasting Corporation, Corporation, Jim. Yes, thank you. I, I know that, and I don't you. even watch it. Um, but a lot of the guys... The oldies they talk about the, the, the time in the Falklands. Yeah. yeah, it was it was interesting because uh, even though Argentina invaded and they technically lost, they still kind of claimed the island. Yeah, it but was then a the, whole, yeah. the island is like we still kind of are British, so like nothing really happened. It was like the British's. Uh, it was like the British mini Vietnam. Kind yeah, of. the nothing biggest... really happened. Some people died. It was really dumb. On both the, sides. the reason it was such big news is because a lot of countries sided with either Argentina or England, and it was like kind of coming close to national or global disaster kind of like thing, which it never did, obviously. And they ended up yeah. determining the winner by a football match. Yeah, and by okay. football, I mean soccer for all you Americans. So I assume Argentina won. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's pretty good. Uh, yeah, pretty but good. Argentina's better. I'm just Sometimes, saying yeah. they got they got good footballers. Yes. Well, uh, you know, you and I. Yeah, I, uh, soccer fanatics. I'm all about that football. Football. Uh, August 17th, the first compact discs are produced in Germany. This is good, yeah? Yeah. Compact disc. Mm. Yeah, that's how you yeah. say it? Is that how you say it in yeah. German? In German. Compact disc. Mm, nice. Mm. Okay. You have to add that at the end. That, you're, uh, um... My German heritage. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I was going to say, your uh, Rosetta Stone's really paying off. It is. It is. You got uh, that for Chrissy. Christmas. So, so September 19th, the first emoticons are posted by Scott Fallman. Posted where? Uh, the internet. Uh, it was At that time, it was DARPA. But they, they created uh, emoticons. Uh, it was, so emojis have been around for a long time. They just weren't really used until well, yeah, cause nobody was 30 using years later. That was just like for no. intergovernmental nerds. He would just send little uh, emoticons of nuclear mushrooms, like mushroom clouds, and be like, we're all going to die. Yeah. That sounds depressing. It was. <clears throat> December 8th, 48 Hours is released in theaters. Such a weird soundtrack. That's my uh, my steel drum. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Uh, though, it, though it is predated by Richard Rush's Freebie and the Bean, Freebie and the Bean with James Caan and Alan Arkin. Great movie. The film is often credited as being the first in the buddy cop genre that included Lethal Weapon, Bad Boys, Rush Hour, yeah, a billion other movies. There's no bigger tough guy. Than yeah, Alan Arkin. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> well, somebody had to play the not tough guy. I'm sure he was the Bean. I uh, or Freebie. I don't know. I've yeah, never seen Freebie. Exactly. And the bean. I've seen Freebie and the Bean, and honestly, I can't. It remember. just sounds like a a bad morning DJ show. <laughs> this is Freebie and the Bean. Come, Come at you. you. Come WKTC Ohio. There you go. Boise. <laughs> so, surrounding areas. <laughs> surrounding areas. Boise, Ohio? Yeah, haven't you ever been to Boise, no. Ohio? No! I don't know, man. You all those places just bleed together Outside of California, they don't exist. They're just all the same. Hey, there's New York. Uh, I, right, I'm sorry. <laughs> Outside of the coast. Uh, okay, so Lawrence Gordon, the, the famous producer who produced a billion movies in the 80s, came up with the original idea for the film uh, way back in, like, 1971. Nice. Uh, long time previous. The original premise had the governor of Louisiana's daughter kidnapped by a criminal who strapped dynamite to her head and threatened to blow her up in 48 hours if the ransom was not met. That was 100% a 70s cop movie. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. just, like, Dirty Harry, which yeah. is, like... The guy's gonna blow up a bus. A dirty Harry does. Yeah, yeah. You know, it was it was just like was mass a... mass casualties. Well, it was always some sort of crazy terrorist event in the seventies. Like, yeah, they're gonna yeah. take a train. It was like go big or go home, baby. Well, it's when you know they they first started like. Uh... I mean, I guess they did it before, but uh, stealing planes and stuff. Like, it became really big in the 70s. Yeah. Yes. Well, stealing planes, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) There is, yes. There's a lot of hijackings. Airjacking. To Cuba? Yeah. Yeah. To Cuba? The Mideast and Mm -hmm. all that weird stuff. Yeah. It was, there was, we talked about this before. The 70s was this time where it was like, suddenly it was like, hey, we can talk about all this true crime and and people. It's like, nope. If it bleeds, it leads. 70s was the unicorn decade. Nice. Yeah. it's the unicorn decade. Yeah. It was everything yeah. that was wonderful yeah. and awful all wrapped into it one, was, and nobody gave a crap about anything. No, no. So the meanest cop goes to the worst prison in the state and gets out the most vicious criminal for his knowledge of the kidnapper who was his cellmate, and that was the only thing they kept from the original premise, well, except, except he's, he's not the meanest, yeah. and he's not. But it's essentially him going to get a prisoner. and The grumpiest him. cop. Yeah. Oh, uh. Uh, yeah, so he had that idea back in 1971. A few writers worked on the project. In 1975, Gordon was making hard times with writer-director Walter Hill and editor Roger Spottiswood. Uh, Spottiswood, who went, went on to – he wanted to direct, and Hill suggested he break in by writing a script. Oh, man, I feel so bad for Spottiswood because, Why? you know, in camp or when he was oh. in, you know, especially <laughs> yeah. when he would, like, get up. You know, Making when you like, you yeah. got them, when you can't control your bones. Oh, I can spot yeah. his wood. Yeah. Spot his wood. <laughs> spot his wood. Ah, spot yeah. his wood. That's uh, why it's so successful. You would have been that guy oh, yelling that. 100%. <laughs> Roger. <laughs> the reason why he was so successful is to get back at those bullies yeah. who spot his wood. Of course. But they would say, can't spot his wood. It's all too little. You can't spot his wood. Oh. That's what we used to do to him. I was wow. in his class. Okay. It was brutal. He, uh, he did a draft of 48 Hours supervised by Walter Hill for Columbia Pictures, who had financed uh, Hard Times. Roger Spottiswood was the editor for Straw Dogs, a uh, fantastic Dustin Hoffman movie by Sam, Sam Peckinpah, Peckinpah. Who, who it was very brutal and very violent. Peter Vaughn was in Amazing. It was a great movie. A, absolutely great movie. It's hard to watch, but it's a good movie. Yeah. Uh, he eventually went on to direct Shoot to Kill, which is... One of my favorite movies of all time, nice. which is just not a good movie, but it's no, one of my isn't favorite that, movies. Uh, Tom Berenger yeah. is like and a uh, Sidney Poitier. Yeah, Sidney yeah. Poitier is a, a cop who goes FBI, in. right? Yeah, yeah, he's an FBI guy, and he has to get the tracker, which is Tom Berenger, to find of uh, to get the, the killer. Tracker. 
uh, had one of the greatest openings ever where they're trying to kill him and he just puts – he kidnaps a lady and he puts a, a, a blanket over him and they're walking and they, they don't know who to shoot. And like it's, it's such a, it was such a good thriller. Uh, he also – retrospectively would also direct Turner and Hooch and the Sylvester Stallone classic Stop or My Mom Will Shoot. Stop or My Mom Will Shoot. Uh, that was in like 92, I think. He didn't direct much after that. <laughs> Yeah, because that movie was so bad. Poor Estelle Getty, you know? Yeah, yeah. Come on, Mom. Dude, what are you doing, Mom? <laughs> Don't shoot, Mom. Come on. Well, That's a whole movie. I know, I know, I know. She's just shooting a gun. I, shoot, there's she, no she reason to watch it either. No. That was, was so annoying. Yeah, that, that seems to be an ongoing thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the yeah. 80s and 90s movies. Yeah. Just shot, shot that revolver like it had a thousand bullets. Stop shooting, Mom. <laughs> Stop or my mom will shoot forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That's what it felt uh, like. Walter Hill wrote The Getaway, which is based on the Jim Thompson novel. Yeah, uh, it's the original one, right? The original. The one with real life. Was it, wasn't Ally McGraw and Stephen Queen, weren't they together? It was the original Getaway. It was not the remake with uh, uh, the. With Alec Baldwin Alec. and Kim No, it wasn't, it wasn't even. Was it Alec? Mm-hmm. Oh, I thought it was one of those. Yeah, brothers. because they were married I, and uh, at the time. And it, it was, was like, not. ooh, were they really doing it during the doing it scenes? It's, and it was like. It's no. really too bad because the novel is incredible. Um, Every Jim Thompson novel yeah, is great, man. Yeah. He, it's they're batshit, effing crazy, dude. Yeah, yeah. They're they're pretty much like kind of you know crazy standard noir, you know, but up so, until the end. But then the end, yeah. it's just like I think I've said this before. I think he just like shot up and started writing his ending because yeah, they were like, yeah. where'd that guy come from? Right. What? The aliens? You know, it's the like, uh, yeah, like I I love Jim Thompson. This is why yeah, I, why I brought it up. He's he great. died penniless. Yeah. He didn't have any success until it's really after too his bad. Dad. Yeah. I mean, he did. He did a lot of. Yeah. Anyway, we'll have a whole Jim. Thompson oh yeah, hundred percent. Um, but uh, Walter Hill also wrote and directed the Warriors, uh, which was his biggest hit uh, previous to this. Come out and play. Which like half the cast forty hours was in the yeah. Warriors. So I mean, James I, Walter, Rebar. Yeah, Rebar. Uh, he went on to write and direct after 48 Hours. He went on to write and direct Red Heat, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger, and Last Man Standing, starring Bruce Willis. And he came up with the story for Aliens and wrote the script for Alien 3 while producing all four uh, – not even all four. He literally – anything that had to do with Aliens, Walter Hill produced it. Nice. You know, uh, Last Man Standing is a super awesome, underrated yeah. movie. Oh, it is such yes. a cool – Crazy awesome. It's a Western that takes place in the 30s, and it's basically Bruce Willis comes in as like this – Hitman, gunslinger kind of guy. Yeah, uh, but it's like the '30s bootlegging times. Yeah, and, yeah, and it's like him versus the mob in this town. It's so good. It's if you the, haven't seen, oh it. my god, the last scene is like 40 yeah. minutes long. Oh, it's, it's just this giant shootout, and yeah. it's incredible. It is, it really is incredible. Good. And uh, Red Heat was uh, pretty bad. Yeah, Red Heat was not good, but you know, was that the I, one with Jim Belushi? Yes. <laughs> Yes, it was. Jim Belushi and all those walls. He was Schwarzenegger was like essentially. I'm from Russia. They're like me. FBI version, whatever, in yes. Soviet Russia, and then Belushi was like a cop. And yeah, uh, Jim yeah, Belushi, was, I'm Russian. It was when they were trying to do. It was. It was kind of a bastardization of the buddy cop movies. They were trying yeah. just to put everything into everything. What if we put like, a Russian and an American together? Yeah. That'd be crazy. It's like a fish out of water. Woo! Yeah. Uh, so uh, the the film, uh, 48 Hours, moved from Columbia to Paramount, uh, who wanted to do a draft for Clint Eastwood. Uh, they hired Hill to rewrite the script with Eastwood as the criminal. That would be cool. He did so, but he said... But when I turned it in, I said that I didn't think it would work. He also added... The best idea would be to make Richard Pryor the criminal and have someone like Eastwood play the cop. <laughs> Back in 78 or 79, no one seemed to think this was such a good idea. Uh, so Eastwood passed and ended up playing a criminal and escaped from Alcatraz instead. Great movie. Uh, oh, fantastic movie. As a result, 48 Hours went into limbo for two years, 
eventually, uh, Lawrence Gordon called Walter Hill and asked him if he would make the flick with uh, Nick Nolte as Cates the cop. Hill said, Paramount felt that the combination of Nick Nolte and a good black actor would be commercial. And he added, What happened is very simple. Richard Pryor is now an enormous movie star, and that's changed everybody's mind about black lead players. Hill envisioned a more improvisational film than he'd ever created. The story is a traditional urban thriller. Two terrible guys are out there and have to be brought down. He added, But even though I enjoy working in genres, the point is always to exploit them or give them a transfusion. So I made a very conscious decision to go with the elements and personality of the two players rather than be overly genuflective to the narrative. Um, thrusting a white policeman and a black convict together carries so much gravity they didn't have to beat the black and white thing to death. If it works, uh, it's because the actor's personalities. So, essentially, they they decided to to make it a black actor and first person they wanted to use was Richard Pryor. Yeah, of course. Because he was huge at that time. He was just huge. Of course, Pryor turned it down because he was now doing leads. He had no reason to be second banana to Nick Nolte. Um, And and it really wasn't... I mean, it is their movie, obviously, and Eddie Murphy definitely made it more his movie. Yeah, but... But, yeah. It was a dumb... I'm sorry, Richard Pryor, but dumb, dumb decision. Because I know you like playing leads, but you pick awful effing movies, man. The same day that 48 Hours opened was Richard Pryor's The Toy. I saw The Toy. I saw all these movies. Something else came out at the same time, too. That uh, was like Airplane. Airplane 2, the sequel. 2, yeah. yeah. I remember that weekend seeing all three of those wow. movies. Wow. And being, even at that age as a young boy, being super creeped out by The Toy, there was just something. I really liked that movie well, when I was growing up. Of course. But I also wasn't very aware of <laughs> <laughs> bad racial stereotypes and that, various yeah, that things. was awful. And then just like, the like them and their yeah. weird Spider-Man jammies running around. It yeah. just seemed untoward. It was very weird. Yeah, it was very weird. And then also, Airplane Two was a bit of a disappointment too. Yeah, couldn't capture the original. Even though it had, yeah, mm. Captain Kirk as uh, William Shatner. William Shatner. Yeah, Captain Kirk, Captain Kirk, Kirk played Shatner. William Shatner. <laughs> that was really interesting. Yeah. But the best of the best, baby, was Forty Eight Hours. Oh, of course, oh, I of love course, that it movie. Was. Uh, Hill's first choice after Richard Pryor was Gregory Hines. It was huge at the time. Have yeah. you ever seen the movie Wolfen? No, I don't think I have. Ooh, Wolfen's a really cool. Like, it sounds really familiar, but I don't think. It's yeah, it's not, it's it's a uh, it's kind of a werewolf movie, but it's more of a uh, what is the Native American shapeshifter? The Wendigo. Kind of a Wendigo, yeah. but they turn it. It's, I don't know if it's a Wendigo because they turn into wolves. They don't. Yeah, you know, necessarily yeah. turn into the Wendigo. But. Uh, uh, there's a young Edward James Olmos is the guy. Oh. Like, you know, oh yeah, muted yeah. Up and they <laughs> think he's turning into a wolf, but it's really not. it's a really good movie though. Yeah. It's him yeah. and uh, oh, man, old guy, uh, great actor. Don't remember? Don't care? Doesn't matter. Show him about him. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Uh, but Richard uh, Gregory Hines was not available, so Hill's then girlfriend and future wife Hilde Gottlieb recommended her client Eddie Murphy, then best known for his work on SNL. Oh yeah, and. What a stroke of luck. This is how it kind of happens in all these stories. It's just, there's so much luck involved. Yeah, just chance. And and, and, I'm not going to say nepotism, but just like, hey, I know this guy who, and you got to have the talent to back it up. Of course. course. I'm not discounting anybody. You know, there's a lot of people that get the shot that don't deserve the shot. Right, right. But, you know, this kid deserved the shot. This was was just smart thinking on her part and then smart response in his. 
Eddie Murphy was the epitome of someone who saw an opportunity and milked it for everything he could. He was the human version of a rocket ship, baby. Yeah, he just he, he he just he knew that if he got on this movie, he would learn so much, he would become better, yes. and that he it was it was his gateway into becoming a huge superstar. He was always two steps ahead, even at yep. a young age, because it wasn't even twenty one. No, he was twenty when he first started shooting. When this. he first yeah. started shooting, this. Yeah. he couldn't even have a drink. He had never yeah. had a. Sip alcohol <laughs> in his life. I mean, it's possible. <laughs> uh, the character of Reggie Hammond that Murphy plays uh, was originally named Willie Biggs, but Murphy felt that it was too stereotypical of a black man's name and changed it to Reggie Hammond. Willie Biggs. Yeah. And so, although, I mean, Reggie, Reggie kind of, I think, has become actually kind of stereotypical well, as well, but I think a lot of it's because of this movie. Well, yeah. I think Reggie Jackson probably was probably the gateway to the Reggie name. Yeah. And there's a lot of respect. Yeah, sure, 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 sure. Uh, Stephen E. D'Souza worked on the script for a few weeks after Eddie Murphy was cast. Uh, he was brought on because they wanted it to. They wanted to add more comedy to it. Uh, and uh, Walter Hill was not super thrilled with D'Souza's work. Yeah, Walter Hill, he's a picky guy. He's yeah, yeah. he knows what he wants, and he knows. He, a lot of people call him a grump or yeah, whatever, but yeah. I just think he's serious. I think he's serious about his. Yeah, his business, he, and, and he knows – he's a filmmaker. He knows what he wants, what works, and what doesn't on his set. And that's why he makes such great action, comedy, yeah. thrill. I don't know. I mean – Yeah, no, he does. He's he, a genre he makes, unto himself. He makes very well-thought-out movies that shouldn't be that deep. This movie is a really great balance of completely disturbing graphic violence. Yes. <laughs> yes. And humor. And the yeah. humor isn't just Eddie Murphy like – be in the clumps, you no, know. It's no, like no, it's it's a real bits, character that's just funny. Yeah, his yeah. bits ring true. They're right, funny, you know. Right. Watching him destroy that redneck bar, <sighs> such a great you know, scene. And the best part of that scene is the look on his face as he exits. That was like, <laughs> I can't believe I got away I with got, that. Yeah, ass, you know, I should have been murdered. <laughs> exactly. It's like, whoa! It's a, it's Bugs Bunny all the way. Bugs freaking Bunny. Uh, critic Michael Sregow, uh, who visited the set for a few days during production, said the producers recommended D'Souza to Hill because they thought he'd be good at adding a light touch to the action. Hill didn't find D'Souza fast enough or a style of comic writing appropriate to the movie. He thought the writer contributed gags instead of personality touches, very few of which were used, and he just didn't develop the rapport with D'Souza that he'd later have with Groose. Walter Hill brought on Larry Gross to work on the script three weeks prior to shooting. He told Gross, I've been working this fella while I like him. I know it's not going to work out. Hill told Murphy that it's not a comedy. It was a serious movie with a funny character in it. Uh, Gross says his main contributions were the idea that Reggie Hammond wanted badly to have sex after three years in prison. Uh, Nick Nolte having a relationship with his girlfriend that mirrored the frustration Eddie was having and improving... The nuances of the relationships between Nick and his girl, his boss, and the killers. The killers were sharpened up and made more mm, interesting. Gross also said... People had this perception of Walter being melancholy. And now that he's made this film, <laughs> no one thinks he's melancholy anymore. <laughs> yeah, Larry Gross literally rewrote the script up until the last day of shooting. Oh, yeah. I it mean, was, that... It was just a constant, constant, constant. Well, when you're tailoring the movie, this is why it was brilliant because they, it wasn't like, oh, we don't have a script, we don't have a story. It was tailoring the the, the dialogue and the situations to the strengths of these characters, right? right. And these actors. I mean, right. Nolte, you know, is he's a genius, man. That guy is a great, oh yeah, he's a classically yeah, yeah. trained, you know, yeah. he's brilliant thinker. 
And then, you know, Murphy is just a hungry kid who wants to learn and yeah. is just naturally cool, funny, and watchable. And it's like he, the Hill and the writers really exploited. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Totally. The, yeah. The, 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 yep. <laughs> so the cast, Nick Nolte, uh, Inspector Jack Cates, he had starred previously in The Deep, based on the Peter Benchley novel in 1977, Who Will Stop the Rain, a movie about the Vietnam War in 1978, and North Dallas 40, about pro football in oh, 1979. North Dallas 40 is good. <laughs> yeah. Because it's all about, like, their pains and, you know. Yeah, and, yeah. And it, Being real, yeah. And it's like. They didn't get paid a lot back then, and it was just the the trudge of being football players. It's yeah, really. I, I think Mac Davis was the other star in that. I think it was he and Mac Davis. Yeah, that the football sounds right. Guys, yeah. yeah. But I I recommend that. I think he also. <laughs> I think he. I don't know what went on with my voice there for a second, but I think he also starred in a soap opera. Where he got his start. Oh, that's very possible. I just looked at his film credits. I was oh, looking at his TV okay. stuff. So, um, it's very possible. Uh, James Remar is Albert Gans, the the uh, say the enemy, <laughs> the antagonist. Uh, starred in the Warriors, uh, but previously with Walter Hill, and yeah. then later played Dexter's father in Dexter. Dexter. Uh, he was a ghost. He was. He was he not was, real. He no. was a figment of he his was imagination. Dead. Um, <laughs> I remember seeing. Uh, Nick Nolte in The Deep. The Deep is kind yeah. of like I watched The Deep because they, you know, after Jaws was successful, yeah, yeah, they, they put a shark in, to do, in the yeah. water. It wasn't even about that. It was about no. treasure hunters or whatever. Yeah. But I liked him so much. And what I thought was so cool about Nolte is his character didn't wear a, a wetsuit. He just like, oh, yeah. put on his stuff and wore Skin like dived. a, a yeah. no. No, he wore like a dress shirt and pants and jeans. <laughs> it's like he just was wearing his clothes. Here we go. Know? Let's go. <laughs> I just thought he was the coolest guy. He was just such a cool yeah. dude. He just, um, just a gruff man. Nolte, it's really funny because Nick Nolte uh, is apparently like just a big teddy bear. Like he's apparently the nicest guy in the world. Yeah. And because his voice and because of his giant stature, everyone wants him to play this mean yeah. gruff dude to the point where Larry Gross would talk about how – Nolte was always trying to pull back, yeah. and like, and 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 Hill was like, "No, you gotta get meaner. You gotta get meaner." And it's he was just like, "Man, man, I don't really want to." But that was so brilliant because if you we watched the movie again, mm-hmm. uh, it's it's not really streaming anywhere. We found it on a Pluto TV, yeah, which was like watching it again in the eighties because we had seven thousand <laughs> commercials. And I'm just gonna yeah. tell you this, Arizona, f you, <laughs> f you. I'm never coming to your stupid state again because you just made me watch your stupid. Commercial Discover 8, a thousand times. Four thousand. Wonder. Times. Yeah. Ugh, between that and like drugs. But yeah, it was. Yeah, but it is available for free. So yes. You can watch yes. it for free. Yeah. It, it's just like it goes from being an hour and a half movie to watching one of the extended versions of Lord Ugh. of the Rings. Oh my God, it went for seven million commercials they forced you to watch, and they also bust in at like the stupidest times, like right in the middle of like and the no. sentence, and be like, "Hey, is it going to be good?" And it's a jump Discover cut. Arizona. It's, it's literally a jump cut. It's yeah. not even like a fade out or anything. It's just bang, yes, bang. It there is. it is. Yeah. So anyway, but so be, be prepared for that when you watch it. But man, saying what you said, it added to like his uncomfortable. Like, yeah. Nolte's character, Kate's. Yeah. Kate's. He's super uncomfortable in his skin. You yeah. know, he's a little pudgy. He's not like he. He's not some big old nah, action yeah. star or whatever. No, he's just no. this kind of drunk, very working man. Alcohol. Yeah, kind he's of just like, a, yeah. He's a guy that wants to solve crimes and not fight with his f buddy. 
Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And that's basically yeah. it. And he just doesn't want to be hassled, and he wants to get it done. He's just so put upon, <laughs> you know. But he's also self-aware. It's a very complex character because it'd be, and I think. Him questioning that and him being a softie added the touches, added the touch, I don't know yeah, why, yeah. added the touches that makes the the evolution of their relationship believable. Yeah, yeah, totally, you know? totally. And it, it's just, it's a very, very cool and organic buddy film. It is, yeah. it is. Uh, David Patrick Kelly uh, played uh, Luther Kelly. He was one of the uh, uh, bad guys. His, he's the one whose girlfriend got kidnapped by James Remar. He's the one that says... Warriors. Yes, he Can was I in. <laughs> he was the main antagonist in the Warriors, which is really funny because they made him look much bigger in that movie than oh, yeah. he really is. He's also the uh, main antagonist in Dreamscape. Oh yeah, that's right. With that's uh, right. Uh, uh, Dennis Spie- Quaid. Yeah, and Steven Spielberg's wife. Oh yeah. Schlooby de Boobity. Kate. Kate Capshaw. There you go. Um, uh, so, uh, not a very good movie. I, that, no, the dude, no. though, he turns into like a big snake at the end, so it's kind of. It's cool. a I, Dreamscape is definitely got a place in people's hearts, <laughs> but it's, it's not I'm a very good movie. They didn't remake it because it's like you know assassinating people in their dream. It was like right, pre right. Freddy Krueger. It was like if the well, CIA were Freddy Krueger, that's yeah. Dreamscape. <laughs> uh, David Patrick Kelly later starred in Commando with Arnold Schwarzenegger. He was in The Crow with Ben Brandon Lee, and he played Harry S. Truman in the Clint Eastwood film Flags of Our Fathers. Yes. He was good. The Sonny Landham as Billy Bear. He was the as they kept calling him over and over again, the Indian in the movie. I love uh, that actor. Uh, he was also in The Warriors and in Poltergeist. Yeah. Uh, he was in Firewalker, the very first movie I ever saw in the movie theater. Oh, with, wow. With uh, um, Chuck Norris. Yeah, another yeah. big action guy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and most famously, and everyone knows him from... Predator. In Predator. Yeah. Come and get me! <laughs> he was fantastic in that movie. Up, Dutch. But he was another one of those guys that you would never know his name. I mean, this movie is just full of character yeah, actors. He was just a buff Native American guy that yeah. showed up in action movies. He must have just been like, I just have this weird. I just I picture the '80s like the Paramount gym. Yeah, and there's you know <laughs> there's there's that guy and like Schwarzenegger and and uh, uh, Rambo and you know all these guys. <laughs> yeah, just, like, just hanging out. out in the. Hey, you guys want to go get a smoothie? I gotta get in my steps. Wow. Let's go get a smoothie, huh? <laughs> uh, Brian James as Inspector Ben Kehoe. Uh, P-R-I-O. Yes, Brian. Uh, he portrayed Leon Kowalski in Blade Runner, what yeah. he's most famous for. Uh, another, again, another what character actor that was in everything. Yeah. Uh, he appeared in Southern Comfort, another 48 Hours, uh, the sequel to 48 Hours, Silverado, Tango and Cash, Red Heat, The Player, and The Fifth Element. He's just got this face, man. He's just got like, a hound dog face. He's, he can play super dumb or super spooky. Like a hatchet face. Like he's very, yeah. And good for him, too, because I don't know yeah. if you remember the plot to Another 48 Hours. I don't think I've ever seen Another 48 Hours. You know, I'm missing a lot. But uh, <laughs> I can't, did that come out in the 90s? 1990. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that uh, Kehoe and his partner were the bad guys. They ended up like being crooked the, cops. the bad guys, yeah. yeah. So he got a much more expanded and, and, role. Yeah. Well, he was, he'd been in a lot of stuff by then. He then, proved his worth. Nolte was in trouble. <laughs> uh, Annette O'Toole played Elaine Marshall, the uh, the beau of, of Nick Nolte. Peter O'Toole's daughter. Uh, Peter O'Toole's daughter. Uh, guest starred in a ton of TV shows during the 70s. Her film career never really took off. She was in movies and stuff, but she's had a huge TV career. I remember her big breakout, and everybody thought she was going to be a huge star, was Cat People. The yes. Re- the, re- the remake of Cat it, People. It came out literally the year, like a few months before. Right. That was her hours. year. Yeah. And Malcolm yeah. McDowell and yeah. uh, 
and Natasha Kinski. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and yeah. she was she was in that. And then she did a topless scene, and it was uh, ooh, oh, oh, oh. daughter doing the boobies, yeah. and it was like this huge <laughs> the boobies. You know, is that what you <laughs> called it back in the day? That's what they said. That's so. That's, uh, there's a clause Walter in your Cronkite contract. Was like, tonight, tonight on the news, Anato Tool, Pedro Tool's daughter is doing the boobies. <laughs> Frank McRae is Captain Hayden. That's the uh, Captain Hayden was the police chief. Uh, he was in 1941 in Used Cars, two very underrated comedies. Yeah. He was uh, also reprised his role as yes. Screamin' Mimi. And this is the, the funny thing, hero, is yeah. that rewatching it again, I was thinking of his character from Last Action Hero, and I was like, he does this all the time. Like, yeah. he's in this all the time. But it was just to make fun of his part oh, in yeah, 48 Hours. He yeah. probably was just like, okay, look, I'm... I'm going to need a lot of hot water with uh, some lemon <laughs> and uh, some honey in it. Okay. And look at you guys. Up and, and he like yeah. he pointed with his thumb and his fingers. His, little, his hand was in his thumb. Oh, and he had one of those yeah. weird, like, super bent back thumbs. Oh, yeah. It was yeah. just, uh, I get really fascinated by hands. He's, he was a great actor. I, I oh, amazing. And he was kind of the, 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 I think the prototypical screaming Commander yeah, was yeah. Starsky and Hutch. Right, right. You know, I think he was but kind he of a... But he definitely yeah. furthered the, the oh, stereotype yeah. of the screaming And, and you know, we went to Beverly Hills Cop. I mean, it was just every... It's always the screaming black commander cop. That's true. That's true. Uh, Jonathan Banks is Detective Algren, uh, oh, yeah. who, of course, we all know eventually went on to Breaking Bad. He was also in Beverly Hills Cop. He was in Beverly Hills Cop. He was in a ton of stuff. I mean, he's had a very oh, yeah. good career. There was a group of guys, like the the Walter Hill... And the uh, Scott brothers, mm-hmm. you know, these guys that were making movies back then. There were just these journeyman actors that were in all those movies. Yeah, yeah. Banks was yeah. one of them. Uh, uh, Johnny Pants, Pantaleone. Pantaleone. Uh, yeah. Joey Pants. Joey Pants. Pantaleone. Yeah. Pantaleone. He was another yeah. guy that was in all that stuff. It was just, they had all these, like, goombas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they they yeah. just threw into stuff. Yeah. And they, they were henchmen, and they were yeah. this, or cops, or whatever. Yeah. And you could make a really great career. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. A great career. Uh, Margot Rose is Casey. Uh, she went on to parts in Night Court, which is what I immediately recognized her from. <laughs> and uh, she was also played the lead, uh, the guest lead, in the most acclaimed episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. Which episode is that? It was called, like, Immortal Nights or something, uh, or Illuminated Nights or something. I don't know. It was it, – I don't remember it. I've watched it. I don't remember I need to rewatch that yeah. show. It was a great a show. show. And you should, because Denise Crosby, playing Sally, obviously was also in Star Trek The Next Generation. Yes. And was the granddaughter of Bing Crosby. Yeah. Who also, at one point, did the boobies. Well, she did. <laughs> as you said, she did the boobies in uh, 48 hours. Yes. But she, uh, I think she got fired from The ne- Next Generation for doing Playboy. Yeah, she um, was. Which, the irony is that she then came back and played her own daughter. So, like, it yeah. didn't They really, were like, uh, They were like, nah, it's fine. It, it wasn't as bad as we thought. I mean, it's really kind of sexist to be, yeah. you know, a woman has a choice to well, do whatever she wants. It wasn't, it wasn't just that. She wanted to get out. Like, she was kind of, didn't want to be yeah. locked into it every, every well, yeah. It was like a, I think you're right. I think it was like a David Caruso situation yeah. where it got a little bit too big for them britches and yeah. thought they were going to have a big career outside of that and then decided and then it, nothing happened and then crawling back yeah. to TV. Not Crosby as much as Caruso, that I'm, red-headed bastard. I'm looking right at Chad Michael Murray while you're saying this. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Olivia Brown is Candy, uh, who, best known for her role as Detective Trudy Joplin in the NBC crime drama series Miami Vice. Miami Vice. Oh, Trudy, I love Trudy. She was so good. Ooh, yeah. Trudy and yeah. Gina and Trudy. Yeah. They were the Crockett and Tubbs. <laughs> the female Crockett and Tubbs. 
Yeah, it was. She was great. She's fantastic. Uh, so the filming started on. What is? I just got to say though, her entire part is uh, Eddie Murphy coming up to her and and being like, "Hey, I've been in prison a long time. I really need sex. Give me sex." And she's like, "Can she do better than that?" And he's like, "Nope." And then she's like, and he's like, "I don't have any money for a hotel, so you're gonna have to pay." And she's like, "What? I'm gonna have to pay, and you're not." And then he gets taken away, and then somehow that charmed her. And she does end up having sex. And then yeah. and he's like, here, take this. She's like, I'm not a hooker. And he's like, oh, I'll just buy myself something nice. Wait six months and we'll come and have some beep, 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 beep. But it's yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And she seemed totally like it was like, oh, you are charming. Yeah. Mm. That whole like uh, quote unquote trim hunt uh, aspect of the movie was pretty uh, gross. Yeah. You know, watching it. This yeah. time. But it makes sense. I mean, I, he's a young yeah. man who just got out of prison after two and a half years. Let's yeah. be honest. Yeah. He's going to want. He's gonna need to fulfill some needs to yeah. have some sexual gratification yes. at him. Yeah, Don't I, be a prude. I'm not. I'm. <laughs> you literally <laughs> argued against yourself. Yes. Uh, so filming started on May seventeenth, nineteen eighty-two. Uh, Murphy started a few weeks after pr- principal photography began because he was finishing up the, his season of Saturday Night Live. He didn't really come into the movie until about a third of the way in. Yeah, it because was. Of, it was yeah. definitely. Pat- he was. The kickoff of the second act. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Uh, The shoot went well, but Hill ran into problems with studio executives. Uh, Michael Eisner, then head of Paramount, was worried that the film was not funny enough. Uh, Hill and his co-screenwriter, Larry Gross, wrote more material tailored to Nolte's and Murphy's personalities. By Hill's account, they rewrote rewrote Murphy's character right up to the very last day of shooting. Uh, Executives also found the footage of the gunfight in the hotel to be way too violent and were worried that it would kill the film's humor. God, that was just – that's what's so brilliant about Walter Hill is he's got Peckinpah's violent (laughs) sensibilities. The way he can mix it like with this, with uh, Midnight Run. Yeah. You know, the guy – nobody does action comedy better than this guy, but he doesn't flinch from the violence. You know, I think it's – it's his kind of like violence yeah. is effed up, man. Uh, it's it's a thing. I mean, if, if, are you reacting to this? We're supposed to because it like, is brutal, man. Jonathan yeah. Banks. Oh, oh, you know that whole point where he's just when he, when Jonathan Banks comes walking down the oh. stairs, clicking his. It's like first of all, Banks. Make sure it's freaking loaded yeah, before you come yeah. down the stairs, dummy. I know you've been shot, but you're still a cop. Would have been a much shorter movie yeah. if you had bullets in that gun. But he comes down like a dummy. Click, 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 yeah. click, 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 click. It's like okay, you clicked it. Yeah. So pathetic to the point where the hostage is like, "Oh my god." It's, oh, she's just like, "Oh, that's that's so sad." It's it's the one point in a movie where they actually ran out of bullets, <laughs> and he's sitting there with this look on his face, like, "Don't kill me." He's yeah. got such a sad, he knows, sad he look knows. on his face. Yeah, yeah. and then he's like, "Don't you do it? Don't you give up the gun, Gates? Don't you do it?" Oh my god! Yeah, he doesn't know what to do. Well, yeah, and then he gives him the gun, and the gun, bam, 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 and then shoots him with yeah. his own gun. Gates gives him the gun. He's killing that's cops so with Gates' yeah. gun, man. Sad. That's got to mess with his mind, baby. No, but I'm just <laughs> yes. I got crazy. Yes, but it does. but it it wasn't so much the violence as it was the emotional aspect of the violence that was so hard to take. Man, it's easy to watch people get blown. Like you look at Rambo Eight or whatever when he's yeah. sitting in the truck with a you know with a M sixty oh, or whatever, whatever just blowing people away for thing for forty five yeah. minutes, just, just blowing chunks off of people. people flying off. Yeah, that's gross. But it's not as effective as no. seeing this poor guy, like, you know, yeah. get shot in cold blood with the other cop's gun. I mean, there's just there's a story there yeah, to yeah. that violence. There's just there's emotion of the violence. Uh, they the executives told Hill that he would never work for Paramount again because of that scene. <laughs> yeah, well, 
Paramount's well, lost. Paramount. And the movie made a bunch of money. So, I mean, I don't yeah, know did, that, did that really last? True. Probably not. You'll never, uh, I wonder how many times the, you'll never work for Paramount again, or you'll never work in this town again. <laughs> cha-ching, cha-ching. Oh, <laughs> hey. <laughs> Actually. <laughs> did I say that? <laughs> oh, I was just kidding. Welcome uh, back, Walter. Let's, let's have a cigar. It was uh, widely known on set that Paramount executives hated what they had seen of Murphy's performance in dailies and wanted to fire him, but Nick Nolte and Walter Hill fought to keep him. Yeah, I don't think they understood it. They didn't get it, Because yeah. Eddie Murphy, I mean, the fact that his first scene, he's singing a police song. Yeah. Rocks! Yeah, yeah. Boot on red! I mean, just doing it so, you know, hilariously. And then, you know, by the way... Uh, Walkmans didn't have microphones that you could get right into people's <laughs> earphones, by the way. Uh, well, uh, nitpicky. Yeah, well. But still, it's like, they probably were like, well, he should have been singing James Brown or whatever. You know what I mean? It's like, well, he's Zig when they zag. Yeah, he wasn't yeah. playing. As, uh, any, there was no stereotype yeah. to Murphy's character. No. Murphy's no. character could have, except for the racial crap coming out of Kate's mouth. Well, yeah. But which, which look, man, that's a story. Kate's uses a lot of watermelon and, you know, a lot of really just, crappy yeah. stuff. But he admits, he's like, mm, look, I'm sorry about all the, you know. Yeah. He, he's like, he, it was a way to control he you. He felt like he had and, to. And, yeah. Because and it's, that's just what it was. Then. It was more like, hey, this is what cops do. Yeah. Which is yeah. gross. It's like, well, you know. Yeah. He was basically explaining why cops are such assholes. <laughs> but. But the thing is, it's like it, Eddie Murphy didn't just take it. Eddie Murphy wanted to get laid and have a steak, yeah. you know? And he yeah. got pushed to the point where he beat the crap out of Nick Nolte. That they, fight is so they great. beat the crap out of each other. Oh yeah, but God. I mean. It, but it was, yeah. Murphy, yeah. it was cool that they gave Murphy the edge. Like, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, he for was sure. young, sure. you know, it's like. He knew what he was doing. Yeah. And that's how it is with these love story buddy things, you know, when these, these <laughs> platonic fallen loveys. Yeah, you got to yeah. beat the crap out of each other before you start kissing. It's true. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Actors remembered Murphy on set as a diligent performer who was open to suggestion and stuck to the script. Uh, he Murphy just wanted to learn. He came into the, yeah. the film with no film experience uh, beyond shooting that awful thing for Best Defense, yeah. which was just an, an added thing, um, and nobody wanted to see that. No. Uh, Not Hill, even Dudley Moore and Eddie Murphy. Hill purposely scheduled Murphy's bigger scenes to be shot at the end of the production, such as the country western bar scene, because he wanted to make sure that Murphy was more confident. Oh, yeah. And and because he knew those scenes had to hit, and he knew they had they they had to be really good. Well, he Murphy was still super hungry at this point. He had a lot of success on TV with he had, he's dominating Saturday Night yeah. Live at this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's setting his sights on the next phase, which is dominating film. Right. And instead of being, and, and this is what made him a star. Instead yeah. of being some yeah. hubristic attitude, you know, bringing his entourage, which he was eventually bringing his entourage on set. Yeah. He had earned it by yeah. then. But <laughs> he came on to learn to dominate. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like he was a hungry, smart kid who was like, okay, I'm working with Nick Doldy, who's a great actor. I'm working with Walter Hill, who's a great director. This is a great way for me exactly. to learn how to be a movie star. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to learn from the best. I, I want to. I'm going to absorb everything I can. Yeah. And because he was a big fish in a little pond, mm-hmm. and he wanted to be a big fish in a big pond. Exactly. And he wanted to be the biggest fish yeah. in the sea. He knew, and it's it's just amazing to me that he was 18, 19, 20 years old, knowing that this is what he had to do. It's confidence, man. Uh, that guy had crazy. It's like I said, he's the coolest mf'er that ever graced Hollywood. Yeah, and yeah, you know. Just it's the confidence that guy has. The country western bar scene was the reason Eddie Murphy agreed to do the movie. Like he read that scene and goes, "I have to do this." Oh yeah, like well, it's yeah. 
that's the again. <laughs> but again, I mean, that's he saw the opportunity. Yeah. Okay, I can showcase there. You know, a hundred percent. Yeah. I can be Bugs Bunny. Yeah. I know. I've been I've been waiting for this moment. Watching Peter Sellers, watching Bugs Bunny, watching all this stuff as a foster <laughs> kid. You know, watching TV all the time. I am ready, and this is my. This is going to make me a star. It's, and that's why he's so smart to take such it. Such a good scene. It's such an incredible scene. Oh god, and it's. So brilliant. And you're right. At the end, coming out of the fact that he got away with it. Yeah. And, like, it was just brilliant. Yes. Brilliant. Yeah. Uh, Walter Hill, after the scene got shot, turned to Joel Silver and said, I'm rich. <laughs> Everyone knew immediately. Hill oh, told yeah. Larry Gross, I got to get busy and get this scene done so this kid can jack up his price. They knew. Everyone knew that he was oh, yeah. going to be huge after well, this. Well, yeah, it's just like, it's like Saturday Night Live when we talked about last week, even the, his first appearance when he didn't have any lines, yeah, we still knew who we wanted to know who is yeah. this kid, yeah. And then we found out, and we we're like, well, we want to know more. Imminently watchable, and yeah, Larry Gross, electric man. That, Ele- I mean, that's uh, yes, that's a only way to. There's not a lot of performers that are electric. It's like right. him and Prince. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's like Larry Gross actually kept a production diary that was published online uh, while he was writing and shooting uh, 48 Hours. They they released it in 2008. Uh, some of the fun little bits from it was that Nick Nolte would re- refill a mug of vodka in OJ every 10 minutes, um, literally drinking on set the entire day. And, and according to Larry Gross, you'd have no idea he was drunk. Yeah, it's no secret that Nick <laughs> Nolte had some substance issues. Yes. Uh, yes. But that's what he... A good working alcoholic, which were a ton of these actors in the 70s. Yeah. They learned from the, the old guys, Robert Shaw, Robert Reed, yeah. the Roberts. Uh, Richard Burton. Richard Burton. Dick Burton. Dick yeah. Burton. <laughs> oh, drinking. But that's, you know, but a good alcoholic will drink vodka during the day because you can sustain yourself. And that's true. That is true. <laughs> and it don't stink. <laughs> Nick Nolte knew that very well. Uh they, uh, he thought, Lyric Gross thought that the Murphy's rendition of Roxanne was one of the funniest things he'd ever seen. Oh, one um, of the greatest introductions to a character, yeah, too, by the way. Yeah. But they would, according to Larry Gross, him and Walter Hill and, and Lawrence Gordon and some other people, they would sit around and just talk about, like, old westerns and philosophize about, yeah. like, John Wayne. And, <laughs> and like, like Walter Hill thought John Wayne was just an asshole. Yeah. And, and a was bully. a complete bully. Yeah. yeah, just complete total bully. Well, John Wayne was a bully. Yeah, he was. You know? Yeah. I mean, if you ever watch him... There's some great, like, drunken speeches that he gives. You know, <laughs> it's getting to be goddamn. That's how the speech that Howard Stern played all the time. No, oh, yeah, yeah. It's getting to be goddamn ridiculous. You know, it's all about <laughs> the hippies and the dippies and the doopies. But, yeah, uh, it was a, I mean, that must have been so fun at that time to listen to the the guys that were old school and new school. Yeah, you know? that's like, exactly. That's the thing. Is that, and I, I can't – this is the shame is that – it, the the production diary for this was released in 2008 on a, a movie site called Movie City News, and and it was it was early on, and they released the whole thing, and now it's gone. Oh. And there's articles that came out in 2008 that talk about it and have excerpts, but the full production diary is not there anymore. Really? It's really disappointing because it looks fascinating. You can't get and it anywhere? I, I, I looked for like three hours. Wow. I could not. I could just find bits and pieces of, of stuff that was quoted in other articles. Nice. So you're like, like Indiana Jones. I was trying, man, because I really wanted to read the whole thing. Yeah, it, it sounds cool. Although I did find the original sc- or the final script for 48 Hours as well. Nice. Uh, 
that was listed on. Did that, it match up? Did you read it? I didn't go. I didn't go far. Into you didn't it. go word yeah. for word no. watching the movie. No, comparing it. That's no. not right. Yeah, <laughs> you were playing script. How dare revising. they? How dare they? Mr. Murphy, that's not right. It's supposed to be. It is money, not it's money. Well, this was not a Coen Brothers movie, <laughs> so I don't think that was an issue. Uh, James Horner of future best-selling score of all time, Titanic, scored the film. You know who his dad was? Uh, little Jack Horner? Yeah. You know what he used to do? <laughs> Jump over a pie He'd or sit something? in a corner. Oh, sit in a corner. That's right. You know what he would do in the corner? He would eat pie? Sit there and he'd eat his curds and whey. Curds and whey. Yeah. Apparently I just wanted You don't know pie. a lot about old Jack Horner's daddy, do you? No. <laughs> Uh, the score was not actually physically released uh, until like 2011. Uh, I, really? There were, there were bootlegs from Europe that you could get, but it was super weird. I don't know why. That um, is weird because there was a couple of big – I mean maybe it was uh, some sort of rights issue or something I, with the Busboys yeah. songs. Because yeah. no offense to the Busboys. I absolutely loved them as yeah. a young man. Laser Tag Larry and I yeah. had the Busboys albums 100%. But all their songs pretty much sound alike. Yeah, they do. They do. Uh, they're fun to watch, though. I mean, they're oh, in they're yeah. in the movie. They yeah. they have a whole sequence in the movie. So they're a I mean, bunch of, they're very charismatic. They're great. I they're saw fun. them in concert. I, oh yeah, so I would, much. Fun I would to have see. loved to have seen them live. That would oh, have been a amazing. Great show. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's just you only need to know one song because uh, they're all pretty much the same. <laughs> Forty eight hours opened in the United States on a Wednesday, December eighth, nineteen eighty two, with its first weekend the same as the Toy and Airplane Two, the sequel, and finished behind them in third place for the weekend with a gross of four point three million dollars. And for the full five days, it was like five point two million dollars. Yeah, because nobody really trusted Eddie Murphy, like as an well, yeah. opening, you yeah. know. But I, th- but it grew word of mouth, man. That- yeah. It did really well, right? Yeah, it ended up grossing $78.8 million overall in the U.S. and Canada box office to become the seventh highest grossing film of 1982. Excellent. And what do you know its budget? No, there was no information about budget. They keep that stuff pretty tight. Sometimes. It's weird. It's weird. Sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. <laughs> Probably when they do, it's because of some sort of mm, accounting I, shenanigans. I'm guessing it probably had something to do along the lines of the soundtrack not being released. Like, there yeah. was definitely some, like... Yeah, no, the movie made exactly zero dollars. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember, I remember that weekend, and you know, I would I'd theater bounce that weekend, and I remember yeah. that's the movie I went back to see again. Oh, nice, nice. And because it was just like so awesome. I mean, the toy was funny, and yeah, you know, I liked Richard. I love Richard Pryor and Jack Jackie Gleason. Gleason. Yeah, oof. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but it was. Uh, and it was kind of funny, but it wasn't a great movie. It was just no, kind of, it was no. odd. And Airplane Two was funny, but it just wasn't Airplane One. It, it tried too hard to be the first movie. And then Forty Eight Hours was like, oh man, this is this brutal is, cop yeah, movie yeah. that's super funny with my favorite actor of the time, Eddie Murphy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean that Laser Tag Larry and I went back two or three times to see nice, that bad boy. Nice. Uh, 48 Hours was nominated and won several critical awards. Uh, Walter Hill won the Grand Prix Award at the Cognac Film, uh, sorry, Cognac Festival du Film Policier. Mm, that's um, where they drink a lot of cognac and talk uh, about cops. So much. <laughs> Eddie Murphy was nominated for a Golden Globe Award for Best Acting Debut Male. Uh, the film screenplay was nominated for the Edgar Allan Poe Award for Best Motion Picture. And uh, James Horner won an award for his score at the Los Angeles Film Critics Association Awards. Nice. Uh, a sequel, another 48 Hours, re- was released on June 8th, 1990. Yeah. It's <laughs> – <laughs> it, a lot 
the sequels they made in the 90s to movies in the 80s just weren't good. Yeah. Wheels Cop 3. Yeah, they tried. The they I were walked out of that do, one. Yeah. Oh, wow, really? Wheels Cop 3. I snuck into it. Oh, no. And didn't pay for it and still walked still out. Walked That's out. how bad it was. But uh, but 48 Hours 2, it just... It, it suffered from the problem that drives me nuts in these sequels. Yeah. Is they spend the first movie creating this really cool friendship and dynamic. And then in the sequel, they destroy it and try to rebuild it again. It yeah, doesn't work. That's why, not, Lethal, yeah. that's why Lethal Weapon 2 was such a great sequel. Right, right. Because they didn't do that stupid trope. Yeah, they just yeah. made them better friends. Yeah. You know, and then brought in a third guy to be the foil. Right, right. You know? Because no matter you what, you, we, they already did this in the first movie. They they became friends, or as close as you can, you know, considering who they yeah. are. But, like, it just doesn't make sense to go back. Like, we, it, it, you're retreading the same plot. And exactly. It, and there's no reason to make a sequel. That movie is very well contained. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're curious about our buddies, but we could pretty much, you know, guess he got out of prison. They were probably friends. He got him a car, you know. Then they yeah. opened up a PI business together. See, that's what would have been, been the the okay, Hollywood. Oh, here we go. If I would have written the 48-hour sequel, it would have been this. Kate gets fired from being the cops for some sort of brutal, you know, police brutality thing Something, or yeah. some sort of crap because he doesn't play by the books. Yeah. And after <laughs> uh, Reggie gets out of prison, they get their PI license and they put up a shingle and then these PIs, you know, and and they're still, you know, because he has got his, you know, got my connection with the police, yeah. And so they get this case or something where they have to can go back to the the kidnapping or whatever where they have forty eight hours, yeah. to blah blah blah. They have to go off the books. They get these guys, so you know, you still get their their friendship and you get them working on their strengths. Right. Yeah. And you have these things, but not with the constrictions of being cops and outside the cops, especially when they made the cops bad guys in the actual right thing. Right. This way it's, I don't know. I just, there's so many ways to go. That was just off the top of my head. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it just, you know, it felt very lazy and it, it definitely was, you know, Eddie Murphy was huge, and it was like, okay, we can make money off this. But Nolte was doing really well at this time, too, because I think yeah. he had sobered up, and he this is the beginning of, like, uh, Down and Out in Beverly Hills yeah. and all of his, you know, yeah. his renaissance. Right, an right, and, and and taking very serious roles, like, in with the Prince of Tides. And but I think this was before all of this. This was kind of his cash grab before, yeah. you know, I mean, it came out in to... 1990, so, like, it was it yeah. was one of those, like, yeah, I'm not going to say no. And I, I'm sure it's because he liked working with Eddie Murphy. And, sure, and he, he liked, liked the money. Yeah, he liked that money. <laughs> <laughs> and it must have been weird. I would like, I would love to, to hear what it was like to work with Eddie Murphy in 90. Right. Instead, versus 82. Versus 82 because yeah. he probably at this point did come in with the entourage. Oh, yeah. And yeah. with all of the stipulations. Totally. And, yeah. You know, I wonder if. I it mean, was even still... by this point, I think Murphy had directed Harlem Nights. I think. Okay. So I think one of the reasons why Eddie Murphy made another 48 hours because he wanted to direct uh, Harlem, Harlem Nights yeah. with his hero. Yeah. With the. Uh, Richard Pryor. Richard Pryor, yeah. Um, and so I think to do that, he had to agree to do 48 Hours. Another 48 I Probably. Hours. I wouldn't be surprised if um, it was a contract deal thing. Because it feels like a contract deal thing. Yeah. It feels, yeah. I don't think anybody was, like, into it. Clamoring for yeah. a sequel to the movie. I just yeah. see, like, 
I see Nolte like reading the newspaper, well, and, and I see Eddie yeah. Murphy like you know listen to the his whatever tracks he's laying down for his new album with his entourage, you know. And it's yeah, just like yeah. I just don't see anybody. I see Walter Hill just being like, ah, this sucks. It just seems very odd that it, eight years later, some they're like, yeah, yeah let's do this. Yeah, it, 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 there had to be behind the scenes, well, you know, and it's, contract stuff. Like you said, it's super lazy because now it's like. Nick Nolte's in trouble. He's yeah, got a manslaughter yeah. charge against right, him. Right, right. And so he's got to get Reggie Hammond, a newly released convict, you know, to figure out who the Iceman is. It's just this convoluted yeah. dumb thing, and it ends up being uh, the cops. And, you know, it's just Eddie Murphy is not young and hungry, <laughs> and Nick Nolte isn't grizzled. He's he's looking pretty good and fresh-faced. So yeah. it's just – it's not the same thing. And it's just – it's it was – it's just sad. Uh, the movie got remade in India in Hindi in 1984 as Andar Bahar, uh, which apparently was a very highly successful film, um, and then also got remade again in India in 1982 under a uh, the language of Canada, mm. which I, I, I looked it up because I had never heard of this before. K-A-N-N-A-D-A. It's a language used in southwestern India. Interesting. I had never heard of it, and I was like, it has to be pronounced differently, and it's not. The... Copyright issues in India are sketchy at best. Uh, so you'll 100%. see like yes. Spider-Man movies and Spider-Girl. Yeah, yeah. Look, just type in India and any of your favorite movies, yeah. and you'll see something spectacular. Uh, the best part about the movie that was made in the Canadian uh, language in India in 1982 was that it was called Police File, <laughs> which is just the most generic, <laughs> awful name ever. Uh, in 2017, the Safdie brothers announced they would helm a remake and co-write the script with the Gerard Gerard Carmichael. Ooh, well, I do. I love Gerard Carmichael. Yes. The Carmichael show was awesome. It had Lil Rel Howery, Tiffany Haddish, David Allen Greer, Loretta yeah. Devine. Oh, it was Allen really funny, and it was he was trying to do like a all in the family kind mm-hmm. of. He was trying to do more of that kind of show, and it was really interesting. It was really funny, but it it never had like a a set. Uh, time slot, man. Yeah, that yeah. thing would just jump everywhere. It yeah. would disappear for like a year and then come back with six episodes. <laughs> it was so mishandled, and it's just a shame because that show was really, really well. Awesome. It is a shame because I like Gerard Carmichael, but I really don't like the Safety Brothers. Yeah, they I, did. What did they do? Uh, they did Uncut Gems, right? Which I knew a lot of people liked. I didn't but see it. That is the closest I've ever come to walking out of a movie theater. I didn't watch that movie because of your hatred for it. The end of that movie, I literally wanted to grab the Safety Brothers and knock their heads together and be. Like, why did you waste my time? Ooh. I hated that movie so much. Okay. So tell us how you feel. To the point where I didn't even see the other other movies. I was just like, why? What other movies did they do? They did Good Time uh, with uh, Robert Pattinson. Robert Pattinson. And they did a couple others. But they usually act in their own movies. And, like, I, I watching them in, like, interviews and stuff, it was just like, I don't even want to be around you people. Now, you said that the development for this remake changed so much that it turned into a different By movie. By December 2019, the Safties announced that they had reworked it so much that it, it became a completely different movie. Are and, they making this movie? And they, they, I believe they are making this movie. With Gerard Carmichael? I don't think so. Ah, well, then forget it. Yeah. I'm not in. Yeah. So I I think he was he was brought in to kind of do the Eddie Murphy part and, like, in, and add that stuff. He would have been great. Yeah. He yeah. would have been great if they were going to redo this movie. And you know me. Not a fan of remakes, yeah. but if they were going to do it, he would have been a really interesting choice because he's got that same swagger and attitude 
but a totally different comedian. Yeah. But he has still that confidence that just makes him cool, watchable, yeah. and unflappable. Yeah. You know? He's yeah. just like, uh, he's, yeah, he's, he's another guy he's that's very just, fun to watch. I hope he takes off, man, because he's a, he's a really talented cat. All right. We are out of time. So we will be back next week with Trading Places. Yeah. Oof, baby. I I'm love so it. excited about covering yeah. this. This has been a really fun month because so much of Eddie Murphy's output – yeah. For the last 20 years, yeah. has been kind of, mm, let's just say subpar. The Sus- last, suspect. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he's had a nice little renaissance the last sure. few years. He's stayed away from the giant blockbuster movies, and he's gotten more down into the, the nitty-gritty of the yeah. acting and stuff. He's gotten better. I guess what I'm trying to say is it's really cool to watch Eddie Murphy become a star. Yeah. And from going yeah. from Saturday Night Live to this and then to Trading Places, yeah. it's just watching this crazy lightning bolt of a talent kid go from this raw, you know, <laughs> unrefinable talent to just kind of yeah. becoming the superstar. And it's just, it's incredible how much charisma this kid had. Yes. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's it. We're out of time. The film is often credited as being the first in the body. No, sorry. Wow. The story is traditional. <laughs> sorry. Yeah. We now return you to your regularly scheduled program, The Six Billion Dollar Man, already in progress.